Greetings, programs, and welcome to the latest episode of the Awesome Friday Movie Podcast. Uh, this week, I'm joined by Simon, as always. Say hello, Simon. Hello, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and my and my name is Matt. Uh, this this week, we're talking about two reasonably new home releases here in Canada: uh, Eternals and The Matrix. Um, but first, how are you, Simon? How is your week? How is things? How are things um, at what should be the tail end of the pandemic? Things are, are, are fine. I mean, compared to you, my things are fine. I get to work at home. So basically, I don't see anyone. I didn't leave the house for three days this week. And it turns out I'm not one of those kinds of people that, that is bothered by not leaving the house. Um, uh, work has been work. But I have seen, actually, quite a few movies this week and bits of TV. I know you've uh, actually seen a num- like a number of things. Yeah, I, I would say a higher nice. proportion than I would say you usually get to, to watch. Uh, it's weird. I was saying to you earlier this week, oh no, it was last week, that I'm in a really weird position at the moment, that I'm sat opposite me, I have a release day PS5 and an Xbox Series X and a gaming PC and a PS3 and an Xbox 360 and an N64 and a PS2 and upstairs I have a Switch, an OLED Switch and for the last two weeks I have not had the impetus to play anything on any of my fancy consoles. The closest I've got is uh, Regency Solitaire on the Switch, Ooh. which is a solitaire game, came out in 2015 by a, a designer from Dorset in England, and <laughs> basically played through a Jane Austen-type uh, story whilst playing rounds of solitaire, which I think is, it's not Klondike, but it's a very specific type of solitaire. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And you unlock power-ups like the beads. If you unlock her beads, she gets to see an extra preview card. Or if you put in um, a xylophone. Oh, no, what's the piano that's not a xylophone? A harpsichord. Harpsichord. If you unlock the harpsichord, you get to uh, remove a card at will or or play the music or something. So all the power-ups are these like Regency-era house props <laughs> from it sounds some... it sounds like the saucy version thereof as well it's uh it's well it's saucy Just as these unlock our beads and put on the harpsichord and have a great <laughs> old time now i want to play your slightly weird midwest version of that <laughs> yeah so i've been playing a bit of regency solitaire and um my good friend steve who you know as well mm-hmm. um recently bought a switch and what Steve likes to do is, for many, many years, we've been playing Trials together, which is a motorbike game where you basically complete motorbike courses in in certain amount of time. And Steve likes to let me build up some times, and then he sort of cracks his knuckles and beats all of them. So now he's got a Switch. He's been texting me every day just to let me know that he's beaten another one of my times. So that's the other thing I've been playing this week. Well, well Steve, Steve, like myself, ha- does not have children, um, <laughs> so I imagine he has a little more time to put it's into it. Ridiculous. Time is ridiculous, but my son now just turned 11, as you know, and he is almost as tall as my wife is, and uh, he goes to bed now like 9.45, and by that point I'm like, well, there's no point putting a movie on because I'm working tomorrow, I'm up at 6.30 tomorrow. I sound like an old man. 
but I guess that's why I've been watching a bit more TV. I've been watching a bit of Boba Fett. Been watching um, Peacemaker, which we, I really, really like. And that's something else. Of course, The Expanse is comes to a, a conclusion this week. I haven't brought myself to watch the final episode yet, but I will be watching that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I mean, we also. I don't. I know you haven't been watching them, but I was just telling you before that uh, the, the series finale the, of the limited series Station Eleven was this week. Mm-hmm. Also spectacular. Uh, Yellow Jackets, I believe, has its season finale tonight, tomorrow. Well, we're recording this Saturday, so right now it's tomorrow, and when you're listening to this, it'll be tonight. <laughs> yes. Um, and that's also been uh, excellent. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's we're in a we're in a good spot for we're in a better spot. This time of year is a better spot for TV than for movies, I think. Although not that there's bad movies coming out, but no, I watched three movies this week and they've all been really, really good. So I, I, as I said to you a couple of days ago, I feel like I feel about movies in my forties like I felt about games in my twenties. Like mm-hmm. I am getting so much pleasure out of watching movies at the moment and i always have done but it's maybe it's because i can actually find an end to the story within reasonable amount of time instead of being expected to play for weeks and weeks and weeks but um some good stuff at the moment definitely what how about the, you what you what's the, what's the third movie what's the third movie that you so it was uh, something we're talking about in a couple of weeks i got we got a preview screener for pupel of chimney town which is a right. japanese animated movie with the wonderful tony hale voicing a garbage man who visits this kind of steampunky uh uh smoky industrial town um ruled over by this like religious um group who have sinister motives for keeping everything the status quo so right it's uh it's lovely it's very very japanese as we'll talk about but it's very lovely yes i think we're talking about that I want to say next week or the week after. It's on on the schedule. I can't remember. We actually do have a schedule for this podcast. So uh, just, you know, (laughs) we're we're quite professional, uh, as I think is well established. Um, I have just been watching and enjoying things, which has been a nice change. Um, I made the decision earlier. If you follow me on Twitter, you might have seen that I made the choice that I'm I'm not going to stop writing for the time being i just have too much other stuff on the go and just focus here on the podcast so i also have an uh, um, a thread that i started on twitter that i fully intend to keep going as long as i can remember to do so where i'm just gonna share all i'm gonna log i log everything i watch on letterboxd but i'm gonna just share specifically the ones the films that i'm seeing uh for the first time whether they're new releases or classics that i missed or, or whatever uh and that's sort of my this year's movie resolution is to try and watch more, especially old stuff that I haven't seen before. Like, and that's uh, it's sort of self-serving in a couple of ways. One, I mean, everyone has holes in their headcanon for getting the filmography of their lives. And I'd like to fill some of those. And also I have a, a subscription to both Criterion and movie that I don't watch enough. So I'm trying to watch at least uh, one thing a week from Criterion just because why not? I went so long going on so many film festivals and other new releases last year that I let let some of my appreciation and, and love of classic film fall by the wayside. So I'm trying to mm-hmm. fix that a little bit. It's an interesting point, actually. I don't know if you're if you have a list like I do. Like I have a guilty classic movie list 
of things I've never seen, like any of the Rockies, for example. Mm. And at some point, I feel like I should I should watch the Rockies. But I really like, I've got a Roku TV, and it has a free channel, which is the Samuel Mayer channel. So it's sort of pre-MGM stuff. Mm-hmm. But with some MGM as well. But um, sometimes I'll turn it on and, and it has something random on there. And most of the time it's Guys and Dolls, which is a very happy thing to have on TV. But I turned it on a couple of months ago and I watched the first quarter of a movie called California Split. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know if you know that movie. It's from 1973 and it's got Elliot Gould and George Seagal as chance of like gamblers working their way through vegas and working on their way through their own relationship. Uh, funny you should mention that is one that i am both aware of and haven't seen oh fantastic yeah. well i mean the, the part of it i've seen was absolutely brilliant and it was really interestingly directed which was uh, uh, robert altman yeah. is the director of that movie and the only other robert altman i think i've seen is the player which i didn't like at all so I kind of have avoided Robert Altman, but it might be because I don't really like Tim Robbins that I didn't like the player. But this this movie is fantastic, and Elliot Gould is just brilliant, and he's he's young and dynamic here, and and he's uh, such a watchable actor, and he's so I I would love to know how much of that movie is scripted and how much of is him just being cantankerous and and speaking of you know whatever comes to his mind because mm-hmm. the dialogue does that beautiful like overlapping and crisscross and it almost sounds like it couldn't be scripted but it's really really good so i i do want to go back to that and finish that yeah i haven't i don't think it's on criterion but i do know that the um wow i'm totally drawing a blank on what this movie's called but um that famous raymond chandler mystery story from the 30s big sleep uh no um Maltese well, falcon is that raymond chandler no that's dashiell hammett uh, anyway, Elliot Gould starred in one in the 1970s that's like oh, a, a then-modern update of that story, and it's on Criterion right now. Oh, great. And that's and uh, last week I watched Stormy Weather, which is from 1943, uh, and it's the story of uh, basically of Bill Bojangles, who was, you know, at the time was the most popular black entertainer in America. Um, uh, it's 1943, so it's not not an entirely unproblematic film, but he's, he's a guy who, who, you know, campaigned against uh, or campaigned for, you know, racial equality in Hollywood. Uh, and just was, it was sort of amazing that he was one of the highest paid entertainers in, in America in 1943, which if I remember correctly is a year after, um, uh, wow. I've been Crosby did uh, blackface in holiday Inn in 1942. So, you know, it's, it's, it was a fraught time. More importantly, Stormy Weather is the movie where every once in a while on, if you're on Twitter or social media, someone will be like, this is the best dance he never put to film. And it's the Nicholas brothers and they are, uh, they're brothers and they're dancing to a big band song across and up and jumping and leaping with Cab Calloway leading the orchestra. And it's the finale to this movie. <laughs> uh, is that the one where they jump out of a first floor window and land on their knees? Uh, no, but it's the one where there's a big, um, there's a big sort of like arch stairways uh, on the stage, and the stairs are about three feet high, and they tap dance their way up on one side, and then they leap over one another into splits on each step all the way down. Oh my God. Uh, they also spend a fair amount of the number jumping between the various like orchestra members, like 
music stands. Uh, oh, that's it's like six minutes long. It's wonderful and joyous. And Cab Calloway's there the whole time doing his Cab Calloway thing, which I don't know if you've, if any of you listeners have seen Cab Calloway like perform with his orchestra on film, but like he's he's such a boisterous and dynamic presence. It's uh, the whole movie is wonderful. It's like eighty minutes long, and there's a like twenty musical numbers. Uh, so like it's like nonstop amazing people doing amazing things it's it's wonderful you should watch it what year, what year was that from 43 see there's a wonderful crossover when film took loads of theater actors where it was just completely assumed that all main actors were triple threats these days if someone sings and dances and acts at the same time it's special and and there's very different media approaches to, to screen acting and stage acting yeah but i love that time i love movies from that time where suddenly you'll see people singing and dancing and doing all kinds of crazy stuff because that was their training. Yeah, I mean, this is very much a movie musical as well. And I sort of buried the lead. Not only is it Bill Bojangles, but it's also the, the entire cast is black, which is somewhat not totally out of the ordinary for 1943. There's There were two in that year, but like it also wasn't exactly the norm, right? Like we, we are now familiar with the history of racial tension in America, so... Is, is there somewhere? Uh, yeah, so who knew? Who knew? Clara's watched uh, the, the the newer version of Hairspray twice in the last two days, and the rest of the time the soundtrack's been on. So she's been, she came up, she was like, Can you believe like people of different races dancing together at that time? Crazy. I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> so she is, she's, she's definitely uh, learning, learning. <laughs> That's amazing. She, yeah, it is amazing. Uh, she was washing herself in the bath and I'm on my phone and she's like, Dad, what are you scared of anything when you die? And I'm like, not, not really. She's like, you are scared of something. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? She's like, you're scared of going to hell. <laughs> Uh, for context, listeners, this young lady is uh, about to be eight. She'll be eight in June, right? She just absorbs everything, everything, and, and and processes everything. So she she's been watching a British TV show called Ghosts, which she loves. So I don't know, but she comes out with all these kind of things. So hairspray is her thing. She's absorbing at the moment, and she she was dancing around to the soundtrack this morning. And let me tell you, as a theatre kid and a movie musical kid seeing your kids like dancing around to movie musicals is pretty great actually and ellie's been listening to hamilton non-stop as well so we have to watch that yeah that's my son so yeah hopefully he might have a couple of theater kids hooray so they, can, they can be broke forever as well <laughs> <laughs> but at least they'll be artistically fulfilled well that's the most important thing isn't it <laughs> it sh- it should it should be it should be. <laughs> anyway, shall we? What's, now that we now that we've bantered, yeah, you know, should we talk yes. about a film or perhaps two? Let's talk about a film. Yes, yes. Um, why don't you give us the a quick rundown on the Marvel's Eternals, which is the twenty <laughs> entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. And just came out on Disney Plus in uh, America and Canada, and I think other places. I assume it's on 
you know, whatever service Disney owns in all the places they have one. I think it's everywhere. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, Eternals is is very wide in scope in that it begins six thousand years ago, where basically a spaceship arrives, and it's the uh, it's the ancient alien kind of um, story where aliens turn up and nudge human civilization in the right direction. So, we don't know much at, at the beginning. Conveniently, I don't know if this happens in the comics, but these Eternals um, have their memory wiped at the end of each thing they do. So we oh, see we... them. Spoilers. Well, different... <laughs> I mean, it's at, right at the beginning of the movie because they wake up and they're like, oh, hi, like, who mm-hmm. are you? And who are you? So they, they don't know. All they know is that they have to do the will of, of their, their overlord called Arish, Arisham. There's a big space dude. Yeah, a, and, a celestial um, in Marvel parlance. Arisham, you know, the yeah. prime celestial. <laughs> sends... So Matt's here for the proper terminology. It's me. He's like, yeah, big red dude who's in space. Yeah. Um, and so all they know, because it's a cycle, they know that they have to, they do what they're told. And they're told to go to this planet and just help civilization and defend civilization from these monstrous creatures called the deviants which are big like twisted sinewy like uh, animalistic demons that yeah and and in this particular version they're they're only allowed to interfere in anything if the deviants are involved which becomes a a plot point (laughs) later on that's interesting isn't it that's the way they get out of um the, the Marvel's kind of painted itself into a bit of a corner with these movies now because with each one you've got to ask like where is everyone else so they do try and answer that a little bit yeah at so least in this one there's definitely a moment where they're like what once once one of the the main human character figures out is that they are like immortal godlike beings he's like why didn't you help fight against Thanos and uh they're like we're not allowed and that's yeah, just sorry. the end of the conversation <laughs> So basically, without revealing too much, we follow them um, over 6,000 years of interacting with humans from ancient like Mesopotamia and Egypt and and then up through like, and then we see Gemma Khan at like Monday London. So the, um, the threat they thought they'd destroyed reappears, of course, and so they feel that they are duty bound to stop it. And in that journey to stop it, they start learning more things and, and things are different for them. They've been able to beat these deviants before, but now things have changed. And basically, the, it's a bit of a, an unfolding mystery. And um, in the middle of all this is some really interesting stuff about mental, um, almost like dementia, like their version of dementia, like the weight of memory causing one of the characters to have significant behavioral differences. The more the, um, the more the characters learn, the more they have to make decisions about the nature of themselves and the nature of the universe and who's right and who's wrong for a Marvel movie. It actually deals with quite deep things, quite interesting um, conversations in a, in a not a very black and white way. And what I actually really liked is that it takes its time to do that. It doesn't just zip through all these moral conundrums and it's not black and white. It, mm-hmm. There's no black and white. It, there's lots of gray area and um, which they struggle with. And so basically they discover 
something and then they have to decide are they going to let it happen or are they going to stop it and that's basically the the crux of the framing for the whole conversation about their identity their their um who who's on the right side everyone thinks they're the good guys and that that really examines this as well and um it's wonderful i i think i liked it more than you i it yeah, really helped me probably. going in expecting it i was expecting it to be bad because i heard it was bad <laughs> and so i'm sure that helped but i mean what what's your take on this uh, i mean for a marvel movie it's it is quite you know it it, it does, it's not exactly you know reaching into the the depths of the human soul to to you know reveal something profound but it you know for this kind of movie especially it it it's not shallow you know um i really there's 10 eternals um so it's a big ensemble cast everyone in it is good um with for me anyway i would say that like actually it's hard to choose a standout because they all are sort of so good in their own ways even right down to um richard madden who plays uh icarus who's the basically superman his power is basically that he's superman they all have different powers but he flies is invulnerable and shoots laser beams from his eyes like he's superman <laughs> um uh and he he's quite wooden but that is not because he's acting poorly that's because his character is quite stoic and quite wooden and dealing with the weight of decision and choice and all of this other stuff um and uh i i i really liked it is what i'm trying to say i i hadn't heard that it was a lot of critics that i do generally line up my tastes with didn't like it or at least thought it was too slow or there wasn't enough action um i i don't share that sentiment i thought it's a very long movie it's two and three quarter hours long if memory serves uh but it tackles everything in basically the only way it can with so many characters and with such themes uh and then it's true that there isn't quite as much action but you know there it's not really the point of the story and when there is action it's bright it's clear you can see what's happening never lose a sense of geography the way that their powers manifest is beautiful uh and this film is full of gorgeous cinematography and and that even for a Marvel movie, maybe be, maybe in spite of it being a Marvel movie, a lot of those effects are really seamless. Like in a lot of Marvel films, you can definitely see see the seams, and in this one, I had a hard time seeing them. So, I was I was really thankful for that actually that all the fight scenes were against blue skies in sunshine with passive cameras with wide angles, yeah, very few cuts. It's such a pleasure, and it's so different from what we have to put up with we've moaned about this many times before but yeah it really felt like like if you're going to make a comic book movie some of when i when i was reading comic books the things that really caught my eye were these big pulled back wide shots of people like blasting into the sky like not not close-ups of like three inch away from their fists as it punches someone and this this movie is so beautiful like the whole thing is uh, print it out and frame it like every still could be framed and there's multiple moments where it took my breath away 
in the design as well, but the cinematography, obviously, um, the director, you're going to tell me the director's name. No? Her, her name uh, is uh, Academy Award winner Chloe Zhao. Right. So she she has that beautiful, wide, panoramic approach to framing that really fit this, this movie beautifully. And, and the... I really like how there wasn't a huge amount of action. I'm so sick of Marvel CGI fests. And yeah, this this ended in a big CGI fest, but in a very different way from, say, like Shang-Chi. Mm-hmm. In fact, this was one of the few Marvel movies where violence was not the answer. And that surprised me as well, like the resolution to it. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, the, uh, I thought Gemma, Gemma Chan really has the focus of uh, the the focal character for learning about who they are and what their responsibilities are. And I think she did a really great job sort of being the audience's door into what we're seeing. And the more she learns, the more we learn. And it was a really affecting drama in places. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was uh, uh, so different from the, the roller coaster that we're used to out of the studio and it's unfortunate i mean the pandemic didn't help but it didn't do the numbers that's why it's already on disney plus like it didn't do numbers it doesn't have a great reputation it didn't make much money i read last week it's considered to be a, a rare commercial and critical failure from mcu so i was in no hurry to watch it and it's, it's a weird. shame that they get they get this much more mature kind of movie and because for them it's a failure we're gonna just keep going back to cgi battle number 17 where where we know as soon as we go in what this movie is going to be from beginning middle and end i mean it also speaks to um just the way we treat film as a society where you know this movie costs 200 million dollars to make and it grossed $400 million, and somehow it's a failure, you know? And I know the somehow is that, you know, when it, when your movie costs $200 million, I mean, the first thing is that, um, does that include marketing or not? Because that's often another $50, $60, $100 million. But also, if it costs $200 million to make, will the theaters take, I think with, in Disney's case, I think they take 40%, but then for most, in most studios' cases, they take 50 so you immediately have to double the number in order to to make money, right? But then also, you know, coming out, it, it came out right in um, October 2021, which was, I don't know about where you were living, dear listener, but here that was at the, you know, the, just at the end of the second peak of the Delta wave of the pandemic. It wasn't really safe to go out. Um, so yeah, I think it's sort of a, a perfect storm. They... But it's a good movie, you know? I don't... I get why some people didn't really connect with it, but I really liked it. I thought it was really pretty. It was really beautiful. And uh, yeah. and it's funny, too, because, like, like I've, I already pointed out that it's two and three quarter hours long, but, like, Endgame is three hours long, you know? The Lord, yeah. of, the, the Lord of the Rings are all th- minimum three hours long, right? Like, movie, movies are allowed to be long, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and it didn't feel overlong. Like I don't. No, I, I thought I really it was. Didn't. I thought it was really well paced, actually. Yeah. Um, I think. I, 
and it's you know when you consider that the the action scenes are not the point of the film mm. then it makes a lot more sense i think mm-hmm. um and then i mean the cast of a thousand stars from around the planet was also a nice touch as well yeah but it was a brave move to put kit harrington and richard madden in the same movie and expect me to know which is which i mean you might as well just uh, get sebastian Stan in there and just really confuse the hell out of everyone when it started and we started with richard madden and then we cut the next scene is um kit harrington in london my first thought was so what's he doing here now like why why is he now in london now you, I, I mean, you I, are I, you are a little face blind. Let's just be honest. <laughs> Come on, they look identical. One of them is like six inches taller than the other. <laughs> Not to mention, but, you know, totally different hair and eye color. Oh, and well, yeah, and one and one speaks in a British accent, and the other one speaks in a you know a lovely Scottish brogue, which is also a British accent. Yeah, well. <laughs> Don't tell I'm them sorry. that. I'm sorry, English. One's English and the other one's <laughs> Scottish. Uh, I thought you'd be I happy. Love- when, we, when the rest of the world says Britain, what they really mean is England. So, like... Don't tell the Scottish and the Welsh that. Yeah. The, um, at the end of this movie, of course, this is not a spoiler. <laughs> it says, Eternals will return. And I, I really hope that's true. But yeah. I don't think that will. I don't think there'll be a sequel. I think they'll have them in some form somewhere but the way i feel that disney really chases money chases the thing that sells i don't think they'll make another eternals i would love them with well so it's difficult to explain why without getting into some spoilers but while i don't know if they'll make another i mean the film ends on a cliffhanger but uh, while I don't know if they'll make another Eternals movie, I sincerely doubt we've seen the last of any of these characters, personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's a couple of theories floating on the web, around the web, one which I kind of like uh, to do with how some of them are going to tie in. But at the end of the film, despite having won the day, the, 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 the Eternals themselves are somewhat scattered. So there's definitely some plot threads that will need to be uh wrapped up and i mean there's marvel is so good at just you know taking aspects of even their bad films and remixing them into their good films that i don't really have a problem with that you know like even even down to i mean they basically have embraced at this point that they're the marvel cinematic universe is basically a tv show and every new thing is just another episode in that tv show yeah you know and uh, the the only difference right now compared compared to say like two three years ago is that they have their back two differences one they're back at the beginning of the story because they finished the infinity saga uh, so they're building out and now they're building out two new stories like two new levels of story um one that's very cosmic and one that's very down to earth and what's, uh, what's that what is, what's the down-to-earth one? So Doctor Strange and Spider-Man are the cosmic dimension stuff. So what's the down-to-earth one? Oh, they're clearly building towards a Young Avengers team, too. Oh, okay. You know, what with um, new young uh, Hawkeye and Ms. Marvel. And uh, there's, a you know, um, 
Wiccan and Speed from WandaVision. Like basically, uh, they're 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 building towards a Young Avengers team. Those two Wanda's kids end up being Young Avengers in the comics. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't. Wiccan, 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 and Speed are their superhero names. Wiccan. Yeah, he's a witch. He's got his this. He's got his mother's chaos magic power. Witchy, witchy stuff. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't know. In the same way that like the Marvels does not look to be, is a the Marvels is the next Captain Marvel movie, and as much as it is a sequel to Captain Marvel, it's also going to be a sequel to WandaVision and Ms. Marvel. Right, so mm. I think they really embrace that model that just the next thing on their calendar is the next chapter we're going to see, mm. um, which honestly I kind of like because it it gives the whole story a little bit more of an ongoing feel. But uh, and like, but you know, the downside is that it's pretty easy to throw on Captain America, you know, one, two, and three, and get a complete story out of those. Um. I don't know that we'll necessarily have anything so clearly delineated moving forward, but I don't, mm. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's just a thing. Where do you think, um, if you were to predict where we'll see the Fantastic Four and the X-Men crop up again, is this going to be within this, this cycle of story or is that way into the future? Would you say? I have no idea about the X-Men. I kind of hope that they just leave them alone for a while. You know, mm. they already have for better or for worse, they already have uh, the Eternals and they already have the Inhumans. So if they really want to do mutant characters, they can do something else. Uh, Fantastic Four are already on the calendar. So they're, they don't have an official release date, but there's a Fantastic Four movie that's been announced. It's coming. It's by the guy who directed all three Spider-Man movies, all three Marvel Spider-Man movies. I didn't know that. Fantastic. Yeah. It's the furthest out one they have actually announced, but it's, it is announced. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly nothing about it except for that John Watts is directing it, but um, mm-hmm. it is announced. So, cool. If uh, if I had a theory as to where we might see an Eternal again, it'll be in Shang Chi two. <laughs> Can you say which Eternal without mm-hmm. us getting into spoilers? No, and but why... it, it doesn't matter. But um, doesn't matter which Eternal. But I think that they'll track one of them down because my my theory at the moment. As much as I hate to be the guy who like builds up a theory and then is let down by his own expectations, but my theory is that the Ten Rings themselves are Eternals technology. Oh, well, they do kind of look that way, don't they? Yeah, I mean, especially once you see the big finale in the movie The Eternals, uh, when they all <laughs> have a new thing that's a ring they wear around their wrist. Um, <laughs> uh, but also, like the the mages uh and everyone else was not able to identify them so they're either super old or super new right at the mm-hmm. in that post credit scene in shang chi and they're sending a signal out to somewhere in the universe so mm-hmm. you know it it would make sense for them to need to find one of the eternals to at least to um answer that question i like it i'd watch that yeah I didn't watch anything with the tunnels in at this point. It's kind of made me interested in Marvel movies again, which I wasn't sure was possible, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it helps the cast was all great, too. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. diverse and wonderful. Uh, and 
I do think, you know, the Jack Kirby created the Eternals when he came back to Marvel after a stint at DC where he created the New Gods. Um, uh, and he's, his Pretty stuff is all big and cosmic and weird. And I, and I love the Celestials for that reason. Um, uh, and I also think it's really neat the way that they didn't, you know, that they, they set up the Eternals to, to not be interfering with human history, but to have clearly influenced it as well through their feats, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's not, uh, like, and, it, you know, it's very easy to see why Makari is called Makari, for example, because they made it as like a root name for Mercury, the, you know, the, the Roman messenger god. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you know the story about in an and Icarus and like Gilgamesh, the hero who fights the bull in that like they're all they're all there, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's easy I really to... like the um the idea that we have all we recognize their names from stories and because they were stories they told using their names at the time. So yeah. they basically made themselves famous yeah. by telling making up stories about themselves yeah yeah i thought it was really neat and uh very very pretty great soundtrack too by the the guy i can never pronounce his name but he's very very famous and very very good ramish oh is it uh ramen dejuadi thank you that guy great soundtrack and stunning to look at like that's a 4k purchase right there when when if i can get hold of that at a reasonable price yeah and if you're watching it on disney plus like i did uh and you have a big glorious tv and you can not be distracted by the changing aspect ratio the imax enhanced scenes are amazing to watch yeah 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 it's true okay good so eternals two thumbs up go watch it it's better than you think it is give it time so, what's our second movie today? Oh, this evening, our second film selection is a long-awaited sequel to a classic trilogy of late 90s and early zeros uh, cinema. Um, Lana Wachowski has made a fourth Matrix film called The Matrix Resurrections, which I really liked. Uh, it... Uh, even less than Eternals, I don't want to tell you anything about this movie, but I, in order to get some out of the way, the basic premise is that uh, Neo is alive, despite having died at the end of the third film. Uh, it is years later, and he's in the Matrix, but he doesn't know that he's in the Matrix. Um, and it, within the Matrix, he's Thomas Anderson again, and he is now a world-renowned game designer who 20 years ago made a video game trilogy called The Matrix, which the whole world loves and he's famous for. Uh, and this opens the door to so many self-referential moments and so many opportunities for the film to critique itself and critique its own audience and you know critique the way we consume art and to critique the way we interact with computers and social media. Um, I, I adored this movie. I really did. I I have some gripes about it and I don't Mm -hmm. really want to tell you any more of the plot or any of the big reveals, but uh, I adore this movie. And I think 
you should watch it. If you're a Matrix fan, I mean, it's a Matrix sequel, so you're either going to love it or hate it. It seems to be how these things go. But I, I really liked it. I, I really, really liked it. Yeah, I did too. I, I think it's fair to say it's not going to have the same impact as the first Matrix did in terms of film technology and in terms of seeing things on screen you've never seen before. I, it doesn't have that same kind of impact, but it's at this time, it's very actively not trying to. In fact, it even jokes about that. Like, It's very... Um, it's very theatrical in the way that it breaks the fourth wall multiple times in terms oh, yeah. of one one of my one of my favorite moments in the whole film is actually right at the very beginning where Thomas Anderson, the game designer, is is called into his boss's office and his boss says, Our parent company, Warner Brothers, has demanded we make a sequel to The Matrix. <laughs> and then Keanu, yeah. and then Thomas Anderson, Keanu Reeves, is like, But we said we'd never do that. <laughs> Just like it knows exactly what it is. It knows exactly what everyone was going to say about it. And yeah, I, yeah. and and it wears that on its sleeve. And in more than a few places, it's very critical of the way the film's played out and some of the characterizations therein. Uh, and in a lot of places, it's also very critical of Matrix fans. I think a very specific swath of Matrix fans, but very critical of Matrix fans, uh, which I also kind yeah. of love it for. Like you get the, I get the feeling that there's a not insignificant proportion of the people who I have seen talking about this film in a negative light, who are exactly the kind of fans. I'm doing air quotes because this is radio. <laughs> I can um, see them. I can verify. Yeah, um, exactly the type of fans who this movie is kind of just saying "fuck you" to. Uh, mm-hmm. People who are obsessed with it in the in the wrong ways about the wrong things. And for the wrong reasons and the movie, but you know, there's, we live in a world where two trans women made a film about self-actualization and the metaphor they used has been co-opted by men's rights activists. You know, it's, we live in a shitty timeline, (laughs) but those kinds of people are exactly the kind of people that this movie is pretty actively saying, fuck you too. And I kind of adore it for that. Yeah, and they're very clearly characterized in the um, the sort of think tank of game designers that he has to work with. It's very, very much targeted with those kind of people. Yeah, I, one. I mean, I this movie um, dodged my preconceptions pretty deftly, but one thing that I liked that I was not ready for. I don't think this is a real spoiler. I was not ready for the first hour of this movie to be an examination of long held trauma mm-hmm. and creative, creative, like depression. Yep. Like it doesn't, I was expecting this movie to start with guns and have guns in the middle and end with guns. And it's, it takes its time and bless him. Keanu Reeves looks absolutely broken in this, his eyes in this, when they, when he gets called in to his boss, who's played brilliantly by, uh, Hamilton's King, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan Groff, who yeah. is just brilliant in this. Um, the his sort of body language and his his demeanor, and it even though he looks like he does in John Wick, it's he does a really good job of showing physically a very different character who is so tired and so done. And then there's a 
a montage as he's trying to find his creative spark and it's hilarious but i'm sure every game designer in the world who's watching this is like fuck it's that it's exactly that it's complete desperate like nothingness it's Mm -hmm. a void and uh i loved how this movie really took its time to show the state of mind of this person not just treating him as another like video game movie character but like uh allowing us to see his trauma and to experience his trauma i thought that was really moving actually yeah yeah i did too um and you're right keanu reeves i think is a you know he's a action superstar but i think he's also a better actor than we ever even when we are giving him credit i think he's a better actor than we ever give him credit for you know mm-hmm. um and i think that him and carrie ann moss still have a pretty undeniable chemistry even though i think yeah. the movie the movie does one thing that i like in that it makes trinity more important to the story than i think she has been in the past but also kind of sidelines her which is I mean, it's kind of a natural extension of the way the film sort of has to be written for that to make sense. And I know this is all very vague and that's very purposeful, but I, I just, what I'm trying to say is that I wish Carrie Ann Moss was in the movie just a little more. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's interesting because I totally see what you're saying, but I, I felt this movie made a, a very clear statement that it was never just Neo by himself. It was always Neo and Trinity. The reason why they did everything was because it was this compound. It was never one or the other. Mm-hmm. And I, I almost felt like this movie raised her profile to be as important as Neo. Especially... Well, no, that's, that's what I'm saying, right? Like the, within the story, she is more important, but within the film, she is less present. <laughs> like not that she's performing bad, just that like, she just doesn't have as many scenes. She's kind of in the background. <laughs> Oh, that's true. That's true. But this is the first of a new trilogy, isn't it? Are no. they making? No, I don't think so. Perhaps. Is this not? A... Oh, okay. I think there'll be another one. I mean, maybe. And, and without spoiling anything, I think we'll probably see a lot more of her in that one. But, but the uh, I mean, standout for me, there. I mean, their 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 bond, the sort of compound that is Neo and Trinity, has always been the the most important thing. But this movie does go out of its way to very plainly state that mm-hmm. in a way that I think was really effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, love Jessica Henwick in this movie as well. I think she's a stunning actress and I could watch her do anything at all times. Yep. Um, uh, also, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Abdul Mateen too is also excellent yeah. as the, yeah. the new Morpheus um Mm -hmm. he has i don't know how much stuff you've seen him in but he has such an interesting and dynamic and cool screen presence and he just he had so much fun in this as well didn't he yeah he gets all the best costumes (laughs) um he gets most of the best like quippy one-liners and he just he just looks the coolest he's he's so effortless in the role Mm -hmm. um i also really enjoyed that i mean obviously outside of the the big roles which are, you know, Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, uh, uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Jessica Henwick, um, Jonathan Groff, and uh, Neil Patrick Harris is in this as well as as Thomas Anderson's therapist in a role that 
I would say that I have enjoyed Neil Patrick Harris in for the first time in a long time because I'm not as big of a fan of him as I once was. Oh, good. Um, but also, I sorry, what I was trying to come around to say is that I love that a lot of the supporting cast who aren't people we've seen before or um, anything like that, a lot of them are just people the Wachowskis have worked with a bunch now. Like, basically everyone else on the, the main ship in this movie are all from Sense8. All of them. <laughs> uh, and like... Oh, I the Soul Sense8. Uh, you should. It's really good and interesting and weird. Um, and like, yeah, the... Uh, what's his name? The taller Caucasian gentleman. His name is... Uh, no, I'm going to have to look him up. Brian, oh, Brian Smith. He's from Stargate right. as well. He was on Sense8. Um, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce this, but it's Erendira Ibarra. Yeah, um, yeah she was a uh, beautiful, talented Latina actress was also on Sense8. Um, yeah. The Toby, and I'm going to mispronounce this too, but it's Onwumere. On He's uh, African. And he plays the operator in this film, and he was Calpheus on set. Like everyone was in Sensei, basically. <laughs> um, and even the one, the one like legacy character who shows up uh, is the Merovingian. And I mean, it's a bit of a spoiler to say that he shows up at all, but he shows up for such a brief period of time, and he's such like a pointed, yeah. a pointed moment of like fuck you to the past uh or to the you know the way the past has been interpreted it's uh he's lambert wilson is a is a gift <laughs> so <laughs> yeah it's a, i mean it's a good movie what else can i say it's a good movie what, what were your gripes like can you talk about them without going into spoiler town we can we can spoil gently can't we yeah i mean so my main gripe if i have one and i do is the same gripe that even the other people who did like the movie tend to have. And that's that the action is just not as good. Like it's, yeah. it's like um, the fight choreography is nowhere near at the same level. The, the camera work around the fights is really janky. It's uh, really jagged. It doesn't do the same. Like in the original film, especially, you know, the camera would often like move in and out of fight scenes, but stay in, in longer takes longer, not like long takes, but like longer shots to make the fights more fluid and to yeah. really give you a sense of place and anchor you in the geography of each fight. This movie does not do that. It's uh, yeah. It cuts a lot. It, the camera moves too much. It's often either too close or too far away, or there's simply too much happening in, in a frame. And, yeah. and especially in those ones where there's a lot of things happening in the frame, I don't know if it's a function of me having watched it in 4K or just that it's not good, but there's definitely one or two widely shot action scenes where I can see that they aren't really fighting, you know, like it's yeah. very, like very stagey and very half-hearted a couple of mm. times. Uh, and that, you know, as much as that is a minor gripe, because that's not really the point of this film. And the film actually, again, goes out of its way to say that none of this is the point of the film, but mm. the matrix and the matrix sequels originally are some of the, have some of the greatest action sequences and cinematography. Mm. I mean, of the nineties at least, but I mean, debatably they're in the conversation for all time lists, I would say, mm. you know, the, uh, the high, the highway sequence in 
the Matrix Reloaded, I think is the by far the best action sequence in the whole franchise, but it's probably one of the greatest action sequences of since the new century, I would say. Mm-hmm. And this movie mm-hmm. at no point, I mean, maybe it's not fair to say this movie doesn't come anywhere near that, but it also doesn't come anywhere near any of the other fight sequences or action sequences in the previous films at all either. But again, the movie goes out of its way to say that if that's the kind of thing you're here for, that's not the kind of movie that it's going to be. So, yeah. And it also says that if you're the kind of person who's obsessed with the style and action of the Matrix, then maybe you're enjoying the Matrix wrong. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's a double-edged I, sword. I don't disagree at all. I, I found some of the fight choreography very, very clunky. And when you compare it to... Uh, is it the second Matrix movie where there's this this fight on a stairway with the twins going this beautiful stairway and they pull weapons off the wall? Is that the second Matrix? It is. That's Reloaded. Yeah, and... that's right. That's like one of the big, uh, the, one of the last big fight scenes before the end of that movie. Right, and that's an exceptionally shot and choreographed bit of fighting. There's nothing in this movie that's even remotely like that. Like yeah. the the when you. When you watch the original trilogy of the Matrix movies, for for better or worse, it with the fight scenes or the choreography rather, and the and the the very artistic shooting of all these action scenes really stays with you. And the the it's just shot in a completely different way. Like I wonder how much influence the uh, the, the Ko Wachowski director had in that, but or if it's a stylistic choice just to not do anything like that it's interesting that this film didn't have that green tinge that any of the originals do it's more of a bluish tinge so maybe it was um maybe it was a choice not to be so controlled and stylistic i don't know i mean the matrix definitely has still has a a very light green tinge but it's nowhere near as strong um and the real world has much less of a blue tinge as well like but it's i think it's still present but um I, I don't think it's a choice so much as that it's been 20 years and Lana Wachowski has done a lot of other stuff as a filmmaker and has different interests now, yeah. um, which okay. is, you know, the, that's basically what the film is talking about too, right? Like it's, yeah. it's 20 years later, we don't, you know, the film doesn't even like on a more surface level, the original Matrix really, I mean, it was a story of self-actualization and all kinds of stuff but one of the big critiques is that people were sort of worried that computers would eventually oppress us and this movie this matrix isn't even that anymore like this matrix is very much one of i I think it's a very would be a very easy line to draw to to connect the way that the new matrix oppresses people to social media Mm -hmm. you know um there's characters that talk about just how much noise there is in the matrix just to like keep you occupied. There's a whole, a whole moment where a character explains that like keeping you sad, but hopeful is the way to be like both hopeful and afraid is the way to keep people in line. And Mm -hmm. that's what social media does to people. You know, you're constantly Mm -hmm. to use a metaphor. I like to use for myself all the time is it constantly has people comparing their behind the scenes reels to other people's highlights, you know, (laughs) like, um so i think i think it's just 20 years what i'm trying to say is that it's just 20 years later is what i think i don't think it's a choice so much as an evolution yeah 
But so. it would fit with a general tone as well. Like it's a much gentler movie in terms of savior figures. Like Neo's not your savior figure in this. In fact, he 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 spends much of this movie just reacting to the situation around him and moving towards he has one objective and he's not really interested or able to do any of the histronics from the from his like Jesus fighting and flying and stuff. So, and he doesn't he doesn't want to be that anymore. And in terms of him as a main character, it's a, it's a much gentler approach and a gentler movie as well. And it's got a lot more to say about smaller stakes. Mm-hmm. You're right. The the Matrix is almost uh, without spoiling too much the the humans and the machines aren't really us and them anymore. Like, there's not this big war that he has to resolve he's just got his own personal stakes in this and it's it's not what i expected but really enjoyed that really enjoyed that smaller like gentler approach to to what he wanted i really liked it yeah i mean the choices he's asked to make in the original trilogy are ones that affect you know the fate of the planet and while they don't not exactly do that it's it's still effectively the same choice in this movie uh as it is at the end of reloaded especially um Mm -hmm. uh but it's the stakes are much smaller and much more personal and much more you know about his wants and needs and love than anything else yeah it's effectively a love story which is nice oh yeah totally oh it's absolutely a love story yeah so it's always nice isn't it yeah yeah it is (laughs) <laughs> oh, two thumbs up go see it actually don't go see it well, you can watch all of these at home now yeah the matrix, go... we were going to talk about something else this week but the, the reason we're talking about the matrix is that it became available on demand yesterday yeah uh, or if you're listening to this on sunday so friday um mm-hmm. and uh you should totally buy it. i just bought it on itunes i bought it without having seen it on itunes and i'm glad that i did because i'm definitely going to watch it a number more times and i will probably eventually buy it on physical at some point so is it out on itunes i thought it was just on rental and like cineplex and so you can uh you can uh and to be fair listeners we're in canada so keep that in mind you can rent it it's a premium rental on itunes for 25 or it's a early purchase on itunes for 30 oh okay Uh, it's also available on Again, Canadian services, but uh, you can buy it on Telus Optic. You can buy it on Cineplex. Um, most of the places you can buy movies, it's basically available to purchase now. Yeah, or at least to rent at premium rental prices. It's worth it as well. You should watch this movie. Yeah. So maybe so next week we are uh, the thing we were going to talk about this week. Yeah. Maybe we'll call it next week with um, uh, Pupel. Yes. Um, and if you, that's one, so that the one we're going to talk about next week that we were going to be talking about today is the tragedy of Macbeth starring Denzel Washington and directed by Joel Cohen. And, uh, it's out on Apple TV plus now. So if you have purchased an Apple device in the past two to 12 months, you can probably watch it and then hear what we have to say in an informed way. (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait to see my favorite Shakespeare play done by a Cohen with Denzel <laughs> like mm-hmm. in black and white 
Uh, the trailer is just like amazing, and uh, I'm I'm definitely finding time where I can watch it in one chunk. Yeah, I mean, true story. We're recording this again on a Saturday afternoon, and when we're done, I'm going to make dinner, and then before I edit this episode, even my wife and I are going to watch it. So, right. yeah, good, nice. lovely. Well, thank you for listening. Here are some messages about how to support us. <laughs> yes, thank you for listening. We do appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, if you would like to support us in a more direct way, you can do so by subscribing to us on your favorite podcasting platform and giving us a five-star review. These help us get in front of more eyes and thus in front of in front of more ears. Is that, sure, is that a thing? Is that a thing? It works. It's English. If you say it enough times in English, it becomes a thing. So I'm just going to keep saying in front of your ears. <laughs> That's literally how the stupid language works. So yes. Yeah. Um, and we're available on uh, Apple and Google and Amazon and all of the podcasting platforms. And if you'd like to support us a little more directly, we do, of course, have a Patreon at um, patreon.com slash mc simpson i believe uh and you can find all these links at awesomefriday.ca uh any any messages from our sponsor for you remember the more money you give us the more we can talk about things so if you like us talking about things then give us money that's Uh, quite true I don't. I I am unaware how SEO works and how you're you're the the knowledgeable one. But I imagine asking for money is never a comfortable thing. But I imagine that if you go on your podcast site and write us a nice review or click a number of stars, that has uh, that is equally appreciated. So anything you can do to raise our profile and support us is very very much appreciated. Yeah, I mean those things are those things help basically immeasurably so those anything like that would be much appreciated excellent yes and to answer and to answer your query uh the way seo works is uh the internet is basically an ocean and that ocean is made up of messages crammed inside bottles and you throw your message in a bottle into that ocean and you have to make it stand out that's that's what seo is you have to put like little flashing lights in your bottle before you throw it into the ocean. Yeah, which everyone else is also doing. Oh, good. This sounds terrible. It, it is. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We, we will see you in a week, and we love you very much. Yay. Bye. Bye.